You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I am your host, Nathan, and we have another great episode lined up for you where we're going to talk about the librarians. Yes, this is another episode from the backlog. We recorded several years ago. I really feel bad because this one has been sitting around for about two and a half years. The thing is, the show was already over when we recorded it, so it wasn't a high-priority one in my estimation to get released when there were things that I needed to release before sequels or other seasons came out, and so those got the priority and the librarians kind of got held back. But that doesn't mean that it's a bad episode, it just means that there weren't more seasons of the librarians coming, so I didn't see any real need to push this one to get out sooner. So, hope you enjoy the episode, hope that it's worth the wait. But, you know, in other news, watched the Snyder Cut. It was... It was better than I thought it was going to be. I still don't think it's the slam dunk that a lot of people are saying that it is. I still think that there are things about the theatrical version that are better. uh, But I do definitely think that there are things about the Snyder Cut version that are better also. And certainly when you're looking at it as the three movies of Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, and Justice League... Zack Snyder's version definitely feels more part of an arc rather than, okay, here is the Justice League movie and it's kind of sort of disconnected from what came before, even though it references things from what came before. But yeah, we'll be talking about the Snyder Cut later on in another episode, so just wait for that. I also saw the Godzilla vs. Kong movie, which was really good. The thing that I wish is that... The American movies could have the budget and the realization of the creatures and the plot lines that they have, but give us the runtime of the fights that the Japanese movies have. (laughs) Because that's the thing. I watch these, and the fights are so short. Whereas if you watch one of the Godzilla movies made by Toho in Japan, those fights can last like half an hour, and it's amazing. And I totally wish that we could have that, that length of fight in these movies. But, I mean, I guess people think that we care more about the humans than the monsters, and I don't agree with that, but I understand why the Hollywood people are thinking that. So, it is what it is. But I think that's enough about me talking about myself. Now let's go to the podcast already in progress. Uh, let's uh, meet our guests for this week. So, starting off, um, you know her as an expert on Star Trek. She is uh, a cosplayer, and that is my buddy Stephanie. How are you doing, Stephanie? I thought you were about to introduce Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
For all I know, those things apply to Lucas too, but... (laughs) (laughs) I am doing well, thank you. All right, excellent. So, um, what's been going on for you in the last uh, few months since the last time we recorded? Oh, I don't know. I finally finished The Librarians. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. How are you doing with your original series rewatch? I'm almost done. I was ready to claim I was like just about done until you mentioned that we're doing the animated series in there too and then i was like oh well i can't even bs my way through that one (laughs) well the good news is that it's only 22 half hour episodes so it shouldn't take too long to that makes me feel a little bit better i keep seeing that 22 and i'm thinking normal star trek length and Mm. so (laughs) that'll actually go a lot faster then yeah yeah i mean rachel and i blitzed through that so uh it's not (laughs) it's not uh it's not too bad but uh yeah okay yes yo that's good that you're watching lots of stuff because then i can have you on we can talk about it all (laughs) yes that we can yeah. yeah, I'm actually chomping at the bit to get to the movies, but I don't want to get too far ahead, so. <laughs> uh, the movies I've seen so many times, I can recite most of them from heart, so. Mm. Well, that's cool. Those were all go-to thing as a kid when I was homesick if I didn't have access to watching Sailor Moon. Oh, okay. For me, it was Star Wars. I- I've seen the Star Wars trilogy so many times, I can easily just recite the lines, you know, f- from beginning to end. Um <laughs> In fact, I, I almost annoyed somebody when I did that, when, when the special editions came out. But <laughs> I remember one time watching them with my mom and dad, uh, and my dad scolded me beforehand, like, we're actually watching this with mom. Don't go into geek mode, because mom's actually watching it with us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. All right, well, it's great to have you back on, uh, Stephanie. Great to be back. All right, and next up, uh, he's talked with us about Black Panther. Um, he uh, he's a guy that posts the the most awesome like fan mashup images on Facebook that I've ever seen, and that is my buddy Lucas. How are you doing, Lucas? I'm doing well, Nathan. How are you, buddy? I'm doing all right. Great, great, great. Uh, I'm glad to be back. Um, the Librarians is kind of like my supplemental when it concerns uh, Doctor Who for the moment. Hmm. because it's so much like Doctor Who, so I had to jump on this, so I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i glad to get this one, uh, get some people on this one, because uh, I wanted to talk about librarians pretty much from the moment I started the podcast, but it was the, the difficulty was finding people who were watching it, um, hmm. and because uh, it, it is a fairly niche show, and since it was on TNT, I think a lot of people never even like started it. And uh, so, yeah, so um, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad, too. Uh, it's just, you know, it's it's fun, and um, I'm hoping that there's more seasons to come and that um, my boy Noah Wilde is able to do this as much as he wants to. Oh, um, then you didn't hear it. It's been canceled. Oh, well. <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully they do a t- well. Hopefully they do a TV movie from time to time, but I'm not surprised. I mean, it did have you know five seasons, so right. you know, or four, 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 four or five seasons. yeah, plus so, the three plus, movies. So exactly. So you know, if you if, you know, if I really want to, I could just do you know, continue with the guys and everything. But I'm kind of not surprised because um, TNT is kind of becoming like sci-fi and like Fox. Um, some of their best series, they usually wind up canceling for some odd reason, yeah. either because of budget or because not a lot of people are watching it when they should be. Mm. 
So uh, what's been going on for you since the last time you were on, Lucas? Uh, just uh, a lot of work, a lot of work. Um, a lot of work that almost cost, actually did cost me vacation time, but uh, they tried to um, sweeten the deal by giving me a raise, but, you know, mm. I'm still looking. Let's just say that much. But other than that, um, just watching, you know, fandom, you know, lose their minds over, you know, one thing after another. <laughs> and uh, um, whether it's in a positive way or in a negative way, mm. we, we've had we've had these talks before in private. But uh, I, I say this before, we've won the uh, culture war. Um, there's a, you know, cool. Um, we're about to lose the peace if we don't, you know, mind our manners and have good behavior. Right. Uh, so uh, it's it's going to be uh, it's we're in interesting times now, but uh, it's just people need to actually think before they speak or write, and um, we can all just enjoy what we like. You know, if you don't like it, you know, go about your way. Somebody else will, and then you can find whatever you want to like. But uh, I'm not going to you know pontificate too much, but I definitely want to get into these four very good series seasons. And I just um, hope to have a lot of fun talking about it because specifically with the first season alone, um, they set up so much Mm -hmm. that came later. Um, And also, um, you know, Dean Devil was smart because there's only so many TNT movies you can actually make, Mm -hmm. you know, before, you know, it gets old and people are saying, well, dang, why don't you just make a season, you know, or just a plain series and just go from there. But, um, We'll see what happens. I mean, maybe one day they'll bring back life to librarians again. Mm-hmm. You know, it might be might be you know TNT, but it might be Amazon, Hulu, or anybody else who might want to actually take a crack at it to at least bring them back, or maybe even bring in a new group of librarians. You know, who are influenced by these guys. You know. Yeah, I know that they tried shopping it around, and uh, so far everybody's turned them down. So they're they're even like right now on Facebook, uh, they they've mentioned that they're auctioning off all their props and everything. So I, yeah. I think it's done for now. But you're right; you never know. You know, in five years, mm-hmm. ten years, whatever, they might bring the concept back with the either the same characters or new characters. So you never know. But uh, yeah. but we're gonna get to that when we talk about the show. But yes, <laughs> it's good to, to have you back on, Lucas. Now that we've uh, met our cast for this week, it's time for our five-minute controversy. Uh, So for those of you just joining, uh, our five-minute controversy is a topic that we discuss before we dive into our topic for the week uh, as just a way to kind of loosen up and to kind of give you just a little bit of an insight into how we feel about things that uh, Phantom is talking about. And this week, instead of a controversy per se, I thought that since the Captain Marvel trailer dropped just a day before we recorded this podcast, that it would be good just to get sort of a first reaction um, from everybody on what they thought of the trailer. So, Stephanie, uh, why don't we start with you? What did you think of the Captain Marvel trailer? Well, immediately I thought, oh, geez, it's definitely a sign of the times that they had to feature Blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my favorite parts of the trailer. <laughs> I wasn't meaning it as a bad thing. It's just like, wow, that is definitely now a, uh, a relic of a certain time. Right. We know it's set in the 90s because there's a blockbuster. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and with all the, the joking going around with the last blockbuster and all that type of stuff, that was just seeing that as like the very first scene in the trailer kind of cracked me up. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Otherwise, I'm actually not very familiar with Captain Marvel. Um, one of my good friends is a huge Captain Marvel fangirl, mm. and I've c- kind of been glad I haven't had to hear him either rant or sing praises of this trailer just yet. It's coming soon, I'm sure it is. Um, <clears throat> but I think it's awesome that we're finally getting one from the Marvel Universe that is going to be focused on a woman hero. Mm. Because uh, I know Marvel's got plenty of them to feature. They just haven't yet. So that's kind of cool. Mm. And it comes out two days after my birthday. So I'm excited for that. Because I love seeing all the Marvel movies. Even mm. if they're characters I'm not familiar with. And chances are I've enjoyed pretty much everything that has come out of the modern Marvel live action crap. Except stupid Danny Rand. Um <laughs> So, was I on that that Iron Fist one, or was all my ranting from the Defender? (laughs) Well, I will say this. I know you haven't seen it yet. Iron Fist Season 2 is so much better than Season 1. That gives me hope. I'm almost done with Luke Cage Season 2, and I'm really enjoying this one. First episode was a little rough, but after that, it picked up way better. Hmm. Um, But anyways, I'm getting way off of Captain Marvel here. (laughs) Uh, long story short, I'm not that familiar with the series, but it looks like it's going to be fun and hold up to the standard that we've already come to expect from Marvel. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, Lucas, what did you think of the trailer when you saw it? Uh, they're definitely going to go with the de-aging um, process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not just that, but not not just the faces, but the actual voice. Because I don't think I ever heard um, Samuel Jackson sound that young. Mm. Ever. I didn't notice the, the timbre of the voice. I'll have to go back and re-listen for that. The timbre, the timbre of voice is very, very... I'm talking about pre-Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about pre-do-the-right-thing. Um, um, that, that level of um, young... I never, I mean, I heard it and I had to literally re, re- listen to it. Now, I'm, you know, Brie Olsen, she's, she's still growing on me as far as where she is, in fact, Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Because I had a whole host of actresses who, especially in their voices, I said, yes, that could be um, her. Uh, it can't be Allie Larder now because she no longer looks like that anymore. Mm. Um, and that was when she was doing, say, the Resident Evil movies. And unfortunately, they didn't pick uh, Abby, uh, Abigail Cornish from um, Sucker Punch. But um, I'm looking to see what you know Bree's able to bring to it. Um, but it, this is definitely an origin story. This is definitely her. Um, whatever the Kree have done to her, and I'm praying to God she didn't get scrolled. If you get my point, mm-hmm. um, setting up secret, you know, invasion for um, phase four. Um, it's going to be uh, interesting to see what they're doing now. The only other bone I have to really pick with it is possibly Coulson. Uh, I know they were trying to get that 1993 um, Clark Gregg look, you know, mm-hmm. when he was uh, acting, but that looked like a toupee, guys. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen some people do some visual comparisons, and yeah, it looks like Clark Gregg now, but with hair. <laughs> but but with more hair than, you know, I'm talking about he went to, like, HRS and um, <laughs> right. back in the 90s. You know, not only am I, you know, a founder, but I'm also a client, you know, <laughs> that type of thing. I said, oh, dear God, guys. I mean, it's like five steps forward, you know, three steps back. But um, mm. I'm definitely intrigued. Um for me personally, I'm coming from it because I grew up reading Miss Marvel, Captain Marvel, 
Um, and I'm glad that she has taken on the mantle because she was not the original Captain Marvel. That was Marvel mm-hmm. uh, back in the uh, 60, late 60s, early 70s. Um, and personally for me, I always wanted Aaron Eckhart to play that character. But you get what you get. Um, so like I said, I'm coming with it with my own biases. But at the same time, I'm still going to see this movie. Because no. I know that she's going to be... She, Let's just say as much. She's the one bringing in the cavalry and the troops when they have to deal with Thanos and Avengers 4. So mm-hmm. we have to see the growth. Now, just like everybody else, I made my jokes and even my own personal memes when the Creek, you know, when the scroll came out the water. Because they do. <laughs> they look like Piccolo from um, Dragon Ball Z. Yes. I'm sorry, guys. They do. I mean, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like I said, I'm going to go see this just to see how everything came about. But yeah, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued, Nathan. Yeah, um, one thing that I think that we should note, though, because this isn't the first time um, people have made fun of CG in a trailer, that they continue working on the CG you know, up through the, uh, you know, the, the, the release of the movie. So those scrolls may look better when we actually get them because they usually use CG to enhance the makeup. So they, they might look better when, when uh, the show actually comes out. And I personally don't think that they're going to do fake out deaths and secret invasion. I know a lot of people think that that's what's going to happen, but I think that'll ruin Avengers 4 if you kill off a bunch of characters and then say, psych, they were really scrolls all along, you know? So we'll, we'll see if they do that. I think that the Russo brothers and Kevin Feige, if they're still at the helm, won't allow it to happen. Mm. Now, if the day ever comes and decide to leave, you need to be quaking your boots and praying to God that scenario does not play out. Right. Oh. I'm serious as a heart that because me and you, who pretty much think kind of like uh, Feige and like um, the Russo brothers, would think, oh no, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. It would take away any emotional weight from anything that happens if these people were really scrolls all along. Yeah. Uh, not just that, but you also got to think about like this too. Um, we're definitely headed towards Secret Invasion. The question, of course, will be the blowback. I've already done my pitches for both X-Men and Fantastic Four as to how they could fit and how later on with the phases it could actually work. Because for me personally, after Avengers goes away, it needs to literally be Fantastic Four. Um, at the same time, we could also still have the scrolls being in the Kree battling out. So we might literally have a trial of Reed Richards type situation or something like that. But either way... Um, they have so much, so much in the playground to play with. It's not even funny. Yeah, I mean, we're getting dangerously uh, away from the uh, whole five-minute controversy here. But, okay, uh, but I'm, so, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, just for me, though, watching that Captain Marvel trailer, um, I really love the fact they went with the uh, comic version Kree uh, uniforms. Um, so I, I, I'm, looking at, I'm looking at those visual details and things like that, and so I'm getting really excited seeing that because... I'm disappointed that it's not Miss Marvel. Uh, if I was making the movie, I'd call it Ms. Marvel, and I'd have a separate Captain Marvel thing. And if you want to transition her into being Captain Marvel later, that's fine. But here's the thing. It's an origin story. It looked like a lot of the beats that I've seen before. Um, but for the visual stuff, other than the scrolls, I was pretty excited. I was really excited to see a blockbuster. 
Uh, <laughs> I miss Blockbuster. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it's great seeing uh, how they've uh, de-aged Sam Jackson for Nick Fury. I'm happy to see Coulson, even if his hair does look ridiculous, because uh, if you've been following Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, you know, things aren't so good for Coulson right now. So I'm going to be glad to have him in a movie again and uh you know yeah it just uh we'll see as future trailers come out you know uh if, if anything more like really makes me excited but the fact of the matter is as long as it's a good movie and it has a female lead you know that's an excellent step in the right direction you know because we've had wonder woman and we've had wonder woman all right, with that, we're going to end the five-minute controversy. We're all happy about the trailer for Captain Marvel. And um, just before we jump into our discussion of the librarians, let's pause for a moment for a uh, for a promo from another fine podcast. I'm lifelong ensign Charles Kelso. I'm Federation Envoy Keith Johnson. I'm Ferengi Counselor Veronica Dashel. And I'm Andorian Mess Hall Cook R. Allen Siler. And we're the crew of Earth Station Trek. Join us for episode reviews, discussions of themes and characters, and all the news from across the Trek. Our logs cover the full gamut of Star Trek. From the groundbreaking original series to the future of the franchise on Paramount Plus. With lots of stops in between. Join our crew aboard Earth Station Trek for your regular podcast escape into the Trekverse. Go bald or go home! And like we mentioned in the beginning of the show, uh, we're talking about the librarians this week, and we're going to talk about the whole show, um, all four seasons. And Lucas, I believe that you've seen the movies, right? Yes, I have all three. And uh, But Stephanie, you have not. Is that correct? I didn't know there were movies until very recently. Okay. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. They, they made it so that you didn't really have to see the movies to get into the show. And uh, I don't think that TNT really, like, tried to promote that um, very heavily when the show came out. But uh, I, when I started seeing all the promotions for season one, I knew somehow there had been movies. I can't remember. It was something in one of the promotions that I saw. But, uh, but yeah, somehow I found out there had been movies. I think I was actually aware that this was a thing. Uh, because of, you know, sometimes just flipping through the channels and I'd seen a commercial for The Librarian with Noah Wiley. Um, but either way, I, I just got them from Netflix, from their disc service. They had all three movies, so I just watched through them before the series came out um, so that I could get up to speed um, on it. Um, so, uh, Lucas, since you've seen the movies, mm-hmm. um, just briefly, could you? what did you think of the librarian just with Noah Wiley. I think it was magnificent. I think you see, you got to think about the context of when the librarian came out. Um, it was just prior to sanctuary and prior to, I think prior to Eureka airing on sci-fi channel. Yeah. Uh, the first movie was, I think 2004, which exactly. yeah, definitely predates the spirit, that. The, yeah, yeah. The spirit destiny. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it would just literally going into, um, it, it pretty much went into that, um, Indiana Jones meet Dr. Who, um, level of fantasy, adventure, action, romance. And it was just, 
here you got this guy who's pretty much a genius, but he has no self confidence mm-hmm. because he always keeps himself in college every single time. His mother is saying, "You gotta get out there. You gotta find yourself a girlfriend who'll become your wife." Because I want grandkids and whatever. I mean, she would just. I mean, Olivia Dukakis as his mother was just genius. Mm-hmm. I mean, every time that there was a scene between her and Noel, it was just it was great and. Um, he, he had to get out of his comfort zone. His comfort zone was, I'm going to take classes, I'm going to get a PhD, I'm going to take classes, get a PhD. Mm-hmm. And everybody else is saying, you already know everything you'll ever need to know. You just need that push. Well, one day he got that push with an invitation to the Metropolitan Library, and the rest we already know. But mm-hmm. between the um, Flynn Carson that we see from the first film, to the end of season four, they're like almost night and day. There's elements of him that are still there from the first film, but Mm -hmm. he has grown to become like literally, I'll tell you, he's literally the American doctor. Mm. I mean, almost in the way he dresses and everything. I mean, I remember the first uh, pilot episode um, when he met um, Eve Baird, you know, played by Rebecca Romaine Stamos, and well, not was, Stamos anymore. <laughs> I know, yeah, Rebecca Romaine. Mm-hmm. I'm so, sorry about that, Rebecca. No, no problem. Uh, no, 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 yeah, I was really saying sorry to her yeah. because, uh, yeah. But um, when they met, I mean, the way he was dressed, it was literally a mixture between the Eighth Doctor that we saw and the Deny the Doctor, um, and, and then um, the Eleventh uh, Doctor. Going along with that, um, when I first started watching The Librarians, I had no idea what I was watching. Tim, my boyfriend, just decided to put something on TV, mm-hmm. and he didn't tell me what it was. He just started hitting play, and this was through Hulu and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, what are we watching? And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, no, it sounded like it might be fun. And as we kept watching it, I'm like, is this some American attempt at Doctor Who? Because mm-hmm. that dude mm-hmm. is the doctor. That's and right, I Stephanie. I kid you not, as I said, this dude is the doctor, he answers, I'm the librarian. And mm-hmm. I'm like, that timing was just nuts. But yes. I totally was sitting there thinking, this is the doctor. And then yes. he introduces himself like that. And I was just like blown away. And- Absolutely. Yeah. And what I love so much is that we now have a bunch of librarians. We now literally have a whole school, in a sense, of librarians because of this season of the series um it's just you know if if something were to happen to his character flint carson it's okay because we got jacob stone we got ezekiel jones we got cassidy even though for her for a while i didn't know she was gonna stick around for long because she always had that you know that brain tumor that was you know the size of a grape but, yeah, the the problem with that was that after the first season, it's like it didn't like negatively impact her at all until we finally exactly. get to that one episode where they're like, oh, she's about to die unless we yeah. do something right away. And I'm like, you guys have forgotten about that thing for like a season and a half. Exactly. And and the reason why they were <laughs> it's the reason why they actually forgot it, because the one MacGuffin magic, the mm. one thing this show can get away with, guys, is magic. Um, and I'm talking about practical earthly magic and otherworldly magic because i mean every season was almost a callback to a reference to almost something else the first season was the serpent brother being like the hydra of the librarians but the move but the movies but the movies alone mm-hmm. um with the first movie we finally get him out and of course we got kyle mclaughlin 
in his prime as the renegade librarian who um, decides to, you know, set up shop with the Serpent Brotherhood. And like I said, Serpent Brotherhood could be seen as a hydra of the librarians. You know, they want exactly the same thing, but their means are a lot more sinister and a lot more um, long term. Well, they want to get magic out there to control things, whereas exactly. the librarians want to put it away so that it they, can't hurt anybody. So it's almost like Warehouse 13 versus um, Hydra, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I really equate it. And it definitely gets in you know, later on. But the first one is pretty much, can Flynn stop being Flynn and become more than? And that's why. Mm-hmm. And... I know I'm getting ahead of myself, so you have to excuse me, but that's why I wish they actually brought back the actress who had played his girlfriend slash guardian in the first film when they did this um, recent um, season. Um, but no, nah, you got that one. Then, of course, you go into the second film after he gotten the Spirit of Destiny and he got, you know, Excalibur as his best friend, which is where you got a sword that you actually practice with and, you know. And it literally is your best friend. That is a running gag throughout the whole three films. Right, and and, and into the beginning of the of the series, of course. But exactly. uh, you mean the but, beginning? It goes all the way through the end of the series. Well, okay, fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> there's a big gap there where Excalibur yeah, so is quote unquote dead. It's gone. It's gone. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like almost first, most of the first uh, season. He's gone. And he has right. to be revived. And just in know. broad strokes, though, we don't need a play-by-play of each movie. But like, what did you think of sort of like the movies as a whole? So you know, you've got that introduction with Quest for the Spear, and what did you think of how you know the the second and third movies sort of carried things forward? Uh, second and third films. Uh, s- second and third for me could easily have been combined mm. uh, because um, the second one was okay, um, but. I like the third one, but there's a part of me that even wonders if the third one should even have happened, because it's almost like the the doctor, not the the librarian on vacation hmm. in in New Orleans, you know, where we find that there's vampires. The second one is pretty much what happened. What is the mystery of Flynn's father? And and so forth and that's where the king solomon mines happens and so forth i'm, I'm exactly backwards i i hate the return to king solomon's mines i i would get rid of that one and i liked uh, the curse of the judas chalice i liked the sort of um misdirection uh and, and and finding out that it's really a dracula story and i liked the whole like love story that goes on in that one as well and even though i was really upset that um nicole wasn't in other movies Mm-hmm. Um, I, I liked that relationship better. I, I normally like Gabrielle Anwar. I, I love Burn Notice and I love her character in Burn Notice, but I, I could not stand her character. It turned to King Solomon's minds either. And I agree. I agree with the, with, uh, Gabrielle's portrayal of that because she was one of those, um, characters that actually took me out mm-hmm. of that film. However, what I do love the, the most is the revelation about Flynn's father his uh, quote-unquote uncle, who wasn't an uncle, is his father's best friend, that whole thing. And then once again, it ties right back into who? Serpent Brotherhood. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I like that type of thing. It was, you know, it's a great second act. The third one, like I said, it just felt like 
and it's nothing taken away from it. I still enjoyed the third film, mm-hmm. but there I, I enjoyed the first one a lot more than the ones that came after. Mm. Oh, I definitely agree. The of the three movies, I think the first one is the best. Oh, it is so much fun. I, I wasn't sure about it for the first like twenty minutes or so, but once Flynn actually gets to the library and stuff starts happening. Then I was like, okay, I, I'm good with this. I I see where this is going, and it became really fun. And his relationship with Nicole was just perfect. Oh my god! I, I absolutely adored that. Um, she, she was, in my opinion, she was a blonde-haired Laura Croft. That's all mm. she was. <laughs> she was what? Was, what if Laura Croft was your guardian, and he just happened to at the end win the girl because that's how it rolls but at the same time i mean who else was going to ever you know understand him other than her and that's why for me personally as much as i like the other actresses that came became his quote quote you know partner slash girlfriend the films i think that there was more of a organic relationship with nicole Mm -hmm. now in the series we can see how that is able to build and they had a lot more time but in a 90 minute to two hour, you know, TNT with a bunch of commercials at an end. Mm-hmm. They still were able to actually show. She actually thought he was just a plain nerd, you know, mm-hmm. like even more so than, say, Kyle. Whereas Kyle McLaughlin's, you know, character looks like a strapping, you know, man, you know, who was both uh, graceful and powerful, whatever. You got, you got, you got Flynn Carson right over here, you <laughs> know. Flint, you know, Flynn might as well be the Bruce Banner, you know, sure. of that universe. So we we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't uh, pass on from the movies though without talking about Judson and Charlene. Oh my because god! Because Bob, <laughs> New- whoever thought of Bob Newhart as like the sage figure in a series should get like uh, some sort promote of promote that person. Promote. Yeah. That. Promote yeah, them. Don't person, fire them, promote That's them. right. <laughs> because, oh my God, Judson was such a great character. And it was so fun that Bob, uh, I mean, Newhart was playing it like completely, uh, you know, like completely uh, seriously. And it was just so great. Like in the, in the, in the first movie when he just shows up and starts kicking ass and he's, and he's like Semper Fi and just like rips off his sleeve and there's like the Marine tattoo there. I loved it. I loved it so much. I was like, say yes, we're everywhere. Okay, now I have to see it just for that. (laughs) We're everywhere. We're everywhere. And he's so understated, guys. He's just so understated. He's just like, yes, you got to do this, Flynn. You got to do this and whatever. And it's just that moment where you actually see him just cut loose. You say, yes, Mm -hmm. go get him, Bob. You know, take no prisoners. (laughs) Have as much fun as you want. I'll be right here as I look in awe. And then, not to mention Charlene. Mm -hmm. Charlene is like... It's it's almost like Judson and Charlene was Flynn's work parents. Yeah. They were the ones who said, okay, now go out, have your fun, don't have too much fun, but you know what you got to do. And I loved it when they brought them back as rarely as they did, Mm. at least in the first season Mm -hmm. uh, of the show. But, man, the movies, they were just – they were dynamite. I mean, it it was great. It was great. He had good support staff. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so so I mean, we had all that, and then you go into the series, and at first it's kind of like, whoa, you know, they get rid of the library, they get rid of Judson and Charlene, and it's like, and now you're introducing all these other characters, and 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 Flynn's going off, you know, on his own thing. It's like I don't know how I feel about this, you know. I mean, were you shocked like that too? 
Lucas, when nope, you were watching actually, it? I, actually, I was I actually smiled. I said, yeah, this is what you do. You take away all the toys and you have them concentrate, which is why, like I said, out of all the characters, I love Flynn, I love Eve. But for me personally, if we're going to go into it, yeah. having having Jenkins in yes. to yes. be the library who did not want anything to do with any of this nonsense, he just wanted to do his research, he was integral. And for me personally, he's my favorite character. Yes. I love everybody else, but for me, Jenkins, I gave him. I understand him because I'm saying – Especially when you find out who he really is. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, he is a person who does not want to be bothered. I mean, I thought that when I looked at you know recently the Transformers, uh, the movie from 1986, and you got Ultra Magnus, he didn't want to be bothered with nothing. No, Ultra Magnus still got nothing on Jenkins. Jenkins didn't want nothing. He wanted everybody out of his out of his adjunct you know library. Don't touch a single thing and whatever. And you see this man man warm up. To and become almost literally a father figure, and an older brother, to, to, to you know Noah Wallace, you know Flynn Carson, definitely. But he becomes almost like that mountain that says, you know what, this is my family, and I didn't want to take them in, but dang it, now that I'm here, you are not touching them. Yeah. Um, and and you wouldn't have gotten that really with, I mean, you might have gotten that with Judson, but all that stuff had to go away. That big metropolitan library had to go away so that they could say, oh, well, what do we do now? That is when you have to – that's crunch time. That's when you actually have to say everything that I am, everything I know can survive all the fun, all the gadgets, everything, and just be you. And that's why I love so much about the first season so much. Well, the first first two-parter, really, was just shocking because all the characters go away. I mean, because you you lose Judson, you lose Charlene, and Flynn goes away at the end of it. And so, while I agree with you about taking away the toys, that for me was shocking, because I'm like, I don't have anything really going back to the movies other than just the basic concept of the the library. It's almost like they did Infinity War before Infinity War. Sure. (laughs) Because, you know, it's like, now everything's gone. We now are in the rubble. We now have to do it. And guess what? You guys might be the future librarians that we need to actually fight the Serpent Brotherhood. I thought I could do it alone. I can't. But I'm going to be able to do what I have to do alone, i.e. Noah Wilde had to go back to Falling Skies to do his other show. <laughs> oh, we're going to get to that in a minute. Um, but uh, Stephanie, what do you think of uh, Jenkins? He's my favorite. I love him. And I'm really pissed off about what happened in season four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jenkins. Uh, I've always been a huge John Larroquette fan uh, ever since I first saw him in Night Court. Um, oh, my God. He's outstanding. Night Court. Right. And, and so but, but the great thing about this is he's not playing it as a comedy at all. I mean, John Larroquette can bring the drama when he wants to. I mean, yeah, sometimes his lines are funny just because of the way he's exasperated by everybody around him and everything, but he's playing it straight. And he is the he is the Alan Rickman of that series. Right. Right. He is the Snape of that series. Mm. He is so snake. Yeah, and, and so he's, you know, I mean, it, it's it's so much fun watching him, and it's so great seeing John Larroquette bringing the action, too, where he's like, I'm Galahad, you know? <laughs> like, yes. You know, I'm <laughs> just like, he's just kicking everybody's ass against the sword, you know, and I just love it. So, um, yeah, I mean, for me, just watching John Larroquette just interact with all these characters and 
you know, just to see him as this most awesome warrior. And, and, and to speak to what, like, Lucas was talking about, in the Arthurian legend, Galahad's the one that gets the grail. Exactly. He's the only one of all of the knights who can actually get the grail because he's supposed to be the one without sin. And so, but then he's gone. Basically, he's taken away from the mortal plane. So you sort of see what they're playing with with the librarians. If he went to the library and he's like divorced himself from what goes on in the outside world anymore. And uh, again, I just it just felt like so cool, like how they wove the myth into the story that they were telling, even with like subtle nods to it. And uh, I really love that. Yeah, it had a it had a Walt Newton League of Extraordinary feel to it. The entire four seasons of the series, it was like. All you got to do is just look and blink just a minute and you might see something, but you'll know what you saw, Mm -hmm. you know, at the core of your eye. And that's what I love. It just is literally like at the undercurrent, Mm -hmm. especially when you realize who he's really fighting. Mm -hmm. God has fighting his daddy. He's fighting Lancelot, you know, and, you know, and they got the perfect. I'm talking about this guy could easily be Moriarty. They got the perfect guy to be the leader of the Serpent Brotherhood in the first season. I mean, I've seen this actor for years, and I'm saying, yeah, he's going to bring it. And when I saw that scene and, you know, the concordant, you know, when they actually brought in that conclave, and then the afterwards and seeing them together, I said, whoa, this is going to be something. Then once we got to the last episode, this first season, they did not disappoint me. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is Matt Frewer is another guy that normally plays comedy, but they brought him in as the main villain, and he also brought the gravitas to his role to play Lancelot, even though you don't know it's Lancelot until the very end. And and that's just beautiful. I mean, Stephanie, what do you think of that when you found out who these two characters are? I've always been a fan of the King Arthur myth, so I was a little bit fangirly when that came about and I thought it was so much fun. I didn't even realize that the actor who was Lancelot was normally a comedy actor too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Have you seen John Larroquette or Matt Frewer in anything else? Oh, I used to watch Night Court all the time. Oh, okay. Okay. And and I saw Matt in, um, when he was in, um, Eureka. Mm. Oh, he was was, in Eureka. Yes, he was. He was, uh, he was Joe, the girl, uh, the, uh, deputy, that uh, oh. Carter I worked with, that was her boyfriend, on off again boyfriend. Okay, well that explains why I kept trying to think, who is this person? I probably looked it up while we were watching it. I was like, oh, he was on Eureka. He, he was I... in a Next Gen episode also. He was the time traveler that <laughs> that uh, tried to bamboozle them, but he was really from the past instead of the future. Exactly. I remember that one. Yeah. So even though it's not necessarily like he only plays comedies, he's always playing like weird offbeat characters, I guess mm-hmm. I should say. Like his character wasn't that time travel one. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I'm familiar. He had a sitcom on Fox in the 90s called Shaky Ground. And he was also the villain in the Generation X movie, which, mm-hmm. you know, everybody tries to forget. But yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, let's, let's talk about some more of the characters though, because we get our three new librarians plus our guardian, um, Jacob, Jacob Stone, Ezekiel Jones, Ezekiel Jones and Cassidy, um, Cillian or Killian. Yeah. Killian. Yeah. Um, so, so, um, oh yeah. Cassandra Killian. Um, so yeah. So Lucas, um, which of those four characters is your favorite and why? It possibly would 
It's just hard. It's almost like picking your favorite uh, kid mm. uh, because almost each one of them, I definitely sympathize and say, yeah, there's a part of me that's like them. But when I look at it, I have to say Jacob. Mm. Um, Jacob Stone because in a lot of ways I actually am kind of like Jacob Stone, you know, in a sense of I'm well-read, whatever, but I'm still doing what I'm doing. Mm. Is there an excuse for it? No. Um, but at the same time, um, just like, like Flynn – um, he had to literally get that kick in the butt and actually be, become the librarian because, as you know, he was literally working the you know rig with his daddy, mm-hmm. and um, didn't actually you know progress any further until you know this thing happened, and uh, then he became more. And Christian Kane, he just does a great job uh, as that character. He's having so much fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ezekiel is a. Uh, Ezekiel, Ezekiel's like the uh, Loki. If Loki actually wanted to be good, but you always knew he was a bad boy. Mm. I mean, he, he's a thief, right? Um, but he's a thief that is just a genius. But uh, you can see later on in the episodes why he is who he is. But at the same time, he is. Let's just say this much: I'm glad that he chose librarians as opposed to joining the Serpent Brotherhood, or he would have been. A force definitely to be reckoned with and then there's my girl oh. um, <laughs> yeah lucas let's just do like one character at a time so that's why i was trying to get you to pick a favorite um okay. so so yeah let's talk about uh jake a little bit um so uh so so yeah stephanie what did you think of uh, jacob stone well being the fact that i was an art graduate myself mm. um and i had to take uh art history classes out the ass <laughs> I always hate it when art history gets brought up in real life, and he often brought it up in that show, and so <laughs> I could relate. <laughs> Isn't that the class where you yelled very loudly, this is boring, or something like that? <laughs> yes, but to my defense, when I did that, I was like six. <laughs> I was sitting in, in a class with my mother, um, and I, I yelled out that it was boring, and then what do I end up going to school for myself? Oh, well, I had to take a lot of that boring class. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so the big art nerd in me, whether I like to admit it or not, um, I really did relate to um, his his love of the classics of the world. Mm -hmm. And I really did like that they didn't only focus on the typical Western art that most of my art history classes were. They actually did occasionally delve into stuff that didn't come out of Italy. Um, and he was still very familiar with it. So it's obvious he had that true passion for uh, the, the classic artistic bits of humanity. Mm. Yeah, I really liked uh, Jake because they kind of created this cool, like, um, you know, dichotomy with him of he is that sort of like brawling, like, you know, like uh, bar hopping kind of guy. But then at the other end, he's got that real sophistication and, and the fact that he feels the need to suppress it. You know, and to hide it. And then when you find out that he even publishes his papers under false names so that, you know, nobody knows that it's him. There's like a real tragedy to his character that he can't be himself, you know, around the, you know, like his family or the people that know him, you know, until he goes to the library and then he can be himself around those people. And so, you know, I always felt that that was like a really interesting element to his character and made me feel a lot, you know, uh, 
a lot closer to him than I would have if he was just the guy with the axe that just fought off the bad guys, right? Yeah, he eventually gets to start kicking ass in the name of art. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So. And his meltdown, his meltdown in that museum, you know, is one of the best I've ever seen Chris never act. I was so I was laughing. I was laughing. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, yeah, so so um, Stephanie, who was your favorite character of the four? Oh, geez, um, it goes back and forth. I think between Eve and Ezekiel, actually. Okay, just pick um, one. Oh, that's a tough choice for me. <laughs> we're we're gonna end up talking about all four characters, so it's yeah, okay. But you're trying to make me pick my favorite, and let's just go with Ezekiel. Okay. Uh, <laughs> For no reason other than it's fun to say his name. I don't know. <laughs> Ezekiel Jones. Yeah. Well, he sure has fun saying his name. Like every single, it, it was like stupid Danny with his "I am the immortal." I'm <laughs> Ezekiel Jones, the greatest thief. Except I actually like Ezekiel and I hate Danny. <laughs> but I thought they gave him a really good. Um, a really well-rounded personality. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a little hesitant when we first met his family, but then it suddenly gave a lot more uh, clarity to his character and why he is a thief who doesn't really have much of a interest in his goods. Mm-hmm. Um, he also does kind of remind me of Lupin the Third in that sense, and Lupin is one of my favorite anime characters. That is a great analogy, Stephanie. He's a gentleman thief. Um, yes, he is. While Ezekiel doesn't go around announcing his thefts, he takes his thefts for other purposes. He doesn't just hoard it all. There's usually a reason behind it, or he just wants the challenge. Mm-hmm. And so he does remind me a lot of Lupin, and um, that is probably one of the biggest draws to the character for me. Another thing I really liked about Ezekiel was that he was the tech guy, and so when you have a series like this that deals with myth and legend, that allowed them to do some weird concepts of combining tech with magic and you know, with techno these, mage. right with these mythical elements and so that that you know uh was kind of interesting too and uh you know just just added to the fun of the show um the uh the other thing I wanted to talk about with Ezekiel is um, the, uh, you know, the development that they, uh, you know, gave to him. The sort of subtle, you know, things that they did from time to time. I, I'm still disappointed that he reset at the end of the one when they're stuck in the video game. Because the Ezekiel who had to live through watching his friends die over and over again, I wanted to continue, like, with that and to see what they could do with Ezekiel after he's learned you know, some responsibility from that uh, situation and everything. Uh, but I did like some of the other ones, though, like with the with the love uh, thing, uh, the love potion episode, and, you know, how he sort of showed that, you know, he actually, you know, was in love with this woman, and that's why it didn't work on him and everything else. And so I kind of like that you brought up the family one. You know, I just like the sort of subtle things where eventually, you know, you see that he's not just this arrogant guy. You know that he comes mm-hmm. off as. I love. I love him with the apple. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, he already is. Everybody the else worst is going crazy. Everybody be. else is going crazy, and they say, "Oh, wait, he is his worst version of himself." <laughs> Which is kind of crap, though, because it's like he could be a lot worse than he is. 
<laughs> That's why I say I'm glad that he picked the librarians as opposed to the Serpent Brotherhood. <laughs> they they couldn't they they couldn't catch a break if he had chose the other side, and I'm glad that he's on their side. You know, and with you mentioning the the video game episode, that actually was the episode I think where I finally fell from the. I'm not sure if I like him or not. Too okay, he's not one of my favorite characters, and I had a similar disappointment that he did completely reset. But I feel like there's a part of him that still remembered it, if not in a conscious level, at a subconscious level. Yeah, I think, yeah, I agree with you. He did have a much more uh, camaraderie type feel with the others. Mm -hmm. No, that's fair. Um, I guess for my pick, I'll go with Eve. Um, you know, I, I'm not familiar with Rebecca Romaine very much. Of course, she's Mystique in the original three X-Men movies. Um, she's done other things from time to time. Nothing where I've really felt, you know, uh, like she had, you know, like she was a particularly interesting, you know, character or anything. But Eve is awesome, you know, and I love the fact that Eve is the one that's in charge, basically, of these three you know, geniuses, you know, that can go off in any crazy direction or whatever. And, you know, I mean, you can say something like she's the mom or whatever for these, you know, kids, but really it's like, she's the tactical one. She's the one that thinks things through. She's the one that asks the, the sensible questions like why, who does it benefit? You know, what do we need to do from that? You know, and she's, and she's able to manage them while at the same time, you know, being the main muscle, <laughs> in a lot of situations i mean jake brings some muscle too but like eve's the one that can also you know bring you know the combat experience in there and everything so um and, and i do find her relationship with flynn cute i don't like it as much as the relationship with rachel but um i i feel like uh not rachel nicole sorry i was growing up okay. the name of the actress with the name of the character okay. but um with Nicole, uh, but it's it, it's 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 still very cute, and I'm glad that they let it develop over time. Um, although by like the fourth time that he leaves, I was kind of like, Eve, you can do better, on <laughs> You know, it's okay. <laughs> you don't have to wait around for Flynn. <laughs> that was actually one of my biggest gripes with her character was the relationship with Flynn. Mm -hmm. um, by the end of the series, I think it had finally worked out, uh, but I actually felt like it was really shoehorned in at the very beginning. They did eventually start gr gradually uh, having it happen, but it was just like all of a sudden they're a thing, and we were just supposed to accept that when it's, it, it really struck me as a kind of cliche thing at first. Like, of course they're involved. Where did this even come from? <laughs> For me, it's called lazy writing. Yeah. Or, or just not letting it develop organically because they definitely were going to get to that level, state, uh, Stephanie. But they just, you know, they could easily just let just marinate and just we just get to that level because um, was there attraction in the first uh, episode? Maybe, but there was more like who is this knucklehead here? Well, why, to be fair though, he... to, to, I just want to interject though. There's a big gap between the first and second seasons. And during that time, they were having adventures together. So I buy that they're close, you know, very much closer in the second season because there's a whole lot of crap that we didn't see. 
Also, but also you got to take this into account too, Nathan, is that Flynn, because Flynn is Flynn, is able. You got to think about it. what what we learned in season four about how he lost Nicole and everything and the guilt and everything. I can actually see why he is a love him and almost leave him type of person where he's just a, yes, uh, you're going to be here, right? You're going to be here. If you're not, don't worry about it. But I still love you. Uh, I got to go and I got to do this. Bye-bye. Um, because for him, it's like I would rather go out in the most dangerous off-screen missions that nobody ever sees or hear about than her get involved with that. And I either lose her or she dies on my watch. Yeah. No, I and, mean, uh, I, it's, that's a fair comment. I just, like I say, I, I I got disappointed that over time it didn't seem like Flynn settled with the issue of there being all these people at the library and for him to work as a team player. Lynn, Flynn's oh date God, as the loner. So, he really was. And, and I hate to say this, it really wasn't until really season four when he actually says, you know what, um... I'm actually, you guys are my family, and I need you. Because for the first three seasons, it was like, oh, you guys are still here. Oh, okay, and whatever. And it, it, that's the reason why I love that Apple episode, when he, they brought the Conclave in. Because his worst case, Flynn, is that selfish, like, Daddy's home. Get out. Everybody get out. You know, I got it from here. And then he realizes, no, because I'm part of the problem now. But... I think that the writers did this, like, and I interjected before, because Noel was doing the other show, and so I had to have an excuse for him to actually leave, and it just is Eve, Jacob, um, Ezekiel, and my girl. You know, they just go on, they do their thing. But, but that's only that only counts for the first two seasons, because after exactly. that second season, Falling Skies was gone. gone. And so, so, I don't know why in season three they did the same thing. Flynn leaves for exactly. half the season. I'm just like I throwing know. up my hands. Exactly. <laughs> I.e., that means he was actually either writing or directing other shows that we didn't know about. Because, like I said, and that's, that's Noel. Noel is now literally a producer and director of other series that some people know about and some people will never know about. But at the same time, it's like, dude, either you're in it to win it or maybe we just need to be stuck with these three. Maybe something has to happen to you and then we can get you like just before the show ends, you know, all together. Yeah. So, Stephanie, since you came in with the series, how did you feel about Flynn just coming in and out like that? Um, I mean, I guess it was called The Librarians. And since I had no previous knowledge of Flynn, and I really liked him right away, and I was really disappointed when he kept disappearing, I didn't really notice, I think, as much as you guys that he was coming in and out um, because I wasn't familiar with him already being the lead. Okay. See, I didn't know if you found him annoying for coming in and out all the time because, you know, for you, the, the other characters are kind of like the main characters. And exactly. So, yeah. So that's what it was to me. I, I was really glad whenever he stuck around longer because mm. I liked him. And like I said, when I first saw the first episode, I'm like, oh, my God, this dude's totally an American doctor. This is awesome. Um, and I never quite got that same feel from the other three. But... Yeah, it, it just kind of struck me as he was meant to be this character that is just kind of 
leading from the shadows in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it just felt like a real shift for me going from the movies into it. So it took a little bit of an adjustment, and I always want—I was hoping when Falling Skies ended that that meant that he would truly like meld into the team. I also like the idea that they kind of suggested at the end of season one, but then they never ran with it. Was that maybe they might do episodes where it's just like, okay, we've got like five main characters now with Flynn, Eve, and the other three librarians. Let's do like odd things of just like hey this episode's gonna focus on these three or let's do another episode that focuses on these three and just like create like different but it it seemed like they always wanted to do the four or then have the five with Flynn when he was around so we never really got like the weird combination kind of stuff of just mixing and matching characters and seeing what happened I feel like that was a missed opportunity Oh, absolutely. I agree. That easily could have been showcase episodes. We had one episode centered around Jacob or Ezekiel or Cassandra or even Eve or Jenkins. I would love to see a day where Jenkins, you know, after the, the gang have gone off to their missions and find the artifacts, it's all centered around what does he do? Well, we kind of got that in the fourth season. It was we more did. of everybody else. I wish there had been more of it. I just wish there had been more of it. It's what I'm saying. <laughs> The D and D group with Jenkins is like one of the funniest. That was so good. <laughs> and he starts wielding a lightsaber in it and everything. I'm just like, that was, this is perfect. That was that, that was so great. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there was a lot that pissed me off about Jenkins. It was, uh, well, not really pissed me off about Jenkins, but what they decided to do to Jenkins in the fourth yeah. season. Mm, yeah. But that was probably the best thing they ever could have done to him. <laughs> yeah, was just, somebody just said, oh, yeah, let's just do this. And they said, okay, yo, we'll, we'll just run with it. it. It's too ridiculous not to. So Yeah, and I love those, yeah, those other characters, those random humans were just totally accepting of everything. Right. And as soon as he's like, I'm not your friend, they're like, yeah, we kind of figured that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was one of the things the librarians, the show did very well was turning expectations on its head. So, you know, it's it's one of the joys of watching it because I'm I'm at a state where, like, I've watched so much TV that I can guess a lot of shows, bef- you know, what they're going to do because they follow the same beats as, you know, plenty of other shows that you've seen. So whenever a show is like, well, this would be the obvious choice, so let's not do that one. You know, I like shows like that because then it keeps me on my toes and it keeps me guessing, you know, what what's going to go on here. But yeah, before we move on too much to just talk about the show in general, we talk about Cassandra because... Oh my gosh, my, my baby girl. Right. <laughs> I just want to give her a hug and say, we're going to cure you. And then they finally did, thank God. And she still kept her ability. Yeah, in the first season, it was so awful. Whenever she used her ability, she had nosebleeds, she fainted. It was like, oh my God, you know, this is, you, you just feel so bad for this adorable little girl. And man, I just said, oh my God, they are going to so ship her and Jacob. It ain't even funny. Yeah, and I couldn't believe it never happened. I was waiting for that too. And then it it's like, like they, they're going to do it. They're going to do it hard. Yeah, she's like, I like Jenkins. <laughs> And I am like, yes, you have good taste. Yeah. I was disappointed the Jenkins thing didn't actually pan out. No, yeah. I know. It didn't go anywhere. What I was thinking for sure was going to happen, especially knowing that it was going to be the last season, mm-hmm. was that something was going to happen with Flynn and Baird not actually um, joining with the library. Mm-hmm. And that it was going to actually somehow fall on Jenkins now that he was mortal and Cassandra. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too, actually. That would have been yeah. remarkable. 
I was hoping for that because it would have been so cute and the two of them were great. Mm-hmm. And then it would have given Jenkins back his immortality. Right. No, that's what I was thinking, too. I was like, okay, he gave up his immortality, but he's going to bond with the library so that he gets his immortality back. And, and yeah, mm-hmm. I think that that would have been a better way but of it. But I did not it. buy their excuse as to why he couldn't do it. No, no. We'll, we'll get to that last episode in a minute, though. But, um, but, yeah. But, Cassandra, the thing is, you can tell that the writers didn't like having to write her as, like, having to, like, faint or having bad stuff happen to her. Because as soon as we get to the second season, suddenly she's able to do all the math stuff in her head and make all those connections. And then mentioning, you have a brain grape, you know, maybe something bad will happen someday. She stops the nosebleed. She stops fainting. You know, it's almost like they forget about it, other than the TV fact they mentioned it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so that bothered me, because I felt that was the core to her character. She was kind of overpowered in what she could do, but then there was the drawback of, you know, the the you know the, the physical damage it did to this her. This is killing her. Yeah. I love the effects of her and being able to piece everything together. That mm-hmm. effects alone, it was like, it was like they looked at the Minority Report, from way back and they said let's do this a lot better and that's exactly what we got for her piecing everything together i love that yeah the visuals were, were really cool and how it was just all like around her and she could move things around and stuff so yeah no i agree with that um but uh yeah so stephanie what did you think of cassandra she's okay okay <laughs> <laughs> honestly of the of the four main ones she was probably my least favorite by a long shot no. Um, and I mean, it wasn't that I disliked her or anything. It's just I, I didn't really feel much drawn to her. Um, she was kind of like the Sailor Mercury of the group. Hey, hey now. Oh, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say anything wow. bad about Sailor Mercury. <laughs> Sailor Mercury is the only of the five inner senshi that I really could care less about. So <gasps> My wow. heart. Yeah, she ranks with Sailor Pluto and Uranus and Saturn for me. Just not really interesting. Saturn too! Oh, <laughs> oh, my, God. my heart! Okay, wow. but anyway. well, she th- well, I hope you guys will do a Sailor Boo podcast. Oh, it's my coming. God. It's coming. But... I told Ethan I better be on it. Right. I'm going to beat him up the next time I'm in Milwaukee. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to have to hear that one. Uh, Wow. um, But, yeah, so... Um, the other thing that I felt was kind of like a missed opportunity with Cassandra is they did that setup in the second season of like the three like sisters who existed out to him who wanted her to like join them. And it's like, you know, uh, uh, Jenkins was all like, oh, you know, like whenever they appear, it's like bad stuff. And you might want to rethink the fact that you just rejected them. And then it never came up really again. Honestly, I think that's one of the reasons why I don't really care for Cassandra much, because she was the character of missed opportunities. Mm. I they can see that. Set up I can see the that. possibility of so many things with her. Mm-hmm. Um like and when she was the, the sorceress, yeah. When she was yeah, the sorceress. She, sorceress. she encounters the Lady of the Lake. She mm-hmm. encounters the those women that you just mentioned, the thing with uh Jenkins, the brain tumor just suddenly magically disappearing. I mean, yeah, it's a show about magic, so it can magically disappear, but you get my point mm-hmm. that it, it's just everything they set up for her, it just kind of washes up. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because I really expected that by the fourth season, if it went that long, which it did, she would be using magic on a regular basis because that was the point of showing all the alternate versions. Yeah, was... I loved her every time we saw an alternate version of her because we showed she literally, like, three she different... literally could have been like the human, the human incarnation of the library if, if they actually did it right. She yeah, easily saw... could have taken all the information she wanted to. We saw, what, two or three different versions of every character? Mm-hmm. And I always liked her alternate version the best out of the other characters. <laughs> but in terms of the actual reality we got, yeah. I, I always felt she fell flat. And that's why she was not one of my favorite characters at all. I didn't dislike her. I don't think there was any character on the show I did dislike. Just like Sailor Moon, I like all the characters. <laughs> I just don't really rate a few of them very high. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's that, I guess that's a fair thing to say. I, um, yeah, I, I mean, I feel the same way. I think of all of them, Cassandra is probably the one that I would rank the least either. I still liked her. I still thought that she was adorable. Um, but, uh, oh, I like, uh, the myth one though, when, um, she's the, uh, the, 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 the prince <laughs> and like the women were swooning over Cassandra. Yes, know? that was fun. Yeah. I enjoyed that. I also really liked it in the fourth season when she went to the, uh, the little small town and mm-hmm. she's trying so hard to avoid magic mm-hmm. and it just, it's there. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that was another fun one. Yeah, but you're right, though, and I guess that kind of goes back to her, the core of her character, because, I mean, she she was missed opportunities from the beginning, because, like, she just decided yeah. to, like, give up everything. Let's just say as much, she could easily have been the Jean Grey of that entire series, if they actually pulled it, you know, right, because she pretty much had that very unique quirk and everything, and for some reason they weren't willing to pull the trigger. Um, possibly because, for all we know, they might have changed different, you know, writers or whatever. But it seemed like every season was almost like a reset in some way, like a soft reset. Uh, even though it was a carryover, there were certain things that were important in the previous seasons that were almost non-existent as it went forward. Yeah. And and they also always like scolded her for using magic. That oh, something's bad's gonna happen because you use magic, and exactly. bad ever happened. Right. So she really could have been the character that could find that proper balance of using magic yeah. without having to worry about some potential repercussions and being a practical user of the library. Yeah, she literally could have been the most powerful librarian of the whole entire group if they had done it right. I'll, and, you know, I'll be honest with that because she has so much potential going forward with that, even with the nosebleeds and whatever, because, you know, what she could actually do. And um, they never, ever went for that. I don't know if that was a choice of the writing staff, maybe the choice of the actress or whatever, but... We got what we got, and I completely understand how you feel, Stephanie, because even as I have to look back as I'm hearing you know, what you're saying, you're absolutely correct. She was definitely the character 
with the most potential, and they did nothing almost with it yeah. at all. Yeah, I mean, like you're saying, it, it se- like some of it was the fault of the other characters. But I used to say that too. Like, uh, why are you guys holding her back? Because I mean, really, you know, it, they should have just let these characters progress. And it seemed that way with a lot of them. Like, you know, Jake gets the mystical training to be like the kung fu master, and then mm-hmm. and I the- feel like they forgot about it. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, so yeah, we still see him fight, but we never see him be like the the kung fu master you know kind of thing again and stuff like that where it's like they, they seem to be afraid to move the characters too far off from where they started so we get and these I think hints of something yeah. more and i think that's another reason why they might have introduced the alternate versions of them especially in the last episode of the um first season it's all these alternate versions because it's almost like well each one of them is capable of this going forward but they never do anything with that you know some of them get a little bit of an upgrade but at the same time i mean by, by how much i mean stone is never going to be the librarian librarian that we saw in that you know 10th and final episode of the first season uh you know where he's like i'm the librarian and he's like you know all that other stuff you know and then he's talking about oh yeah i remember eve and whatever but he just i mean I mean, he was like Lily Nathan Drake. They literally made Jacob Stone Nathan Drake. And he will never be that, you know, now that the whole thing is all said and done, unfortunately. He was bad, bad, you know, badass, but he was not on that level. And that's sad. And almost every one of them, we saw that. But they just weren't willing to pull a trigger. But for her, it's like so much that. Yeah. So we've talked a bit about the well, we've talked a lot about the characters. What is it that you think, you know, makes the librarians like uh, an interesting or different show? Stephanie, let's start with you. What 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 drew you to this show? Um, the fact that it's about magic and the supernatural, and I love stuff like this. I mean, that book I've been writing forever is all about magic and the supernatural. And like that one you shared with me on Facebook. Oh God. <laughs> 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 about the Viking vamp, the, vi- the time-traveling Viking vampire. <laughs> I've got to read that now. Please finish it. <laughs> no, no, this is one that she showed me on, that was written by somebody else. But... Okay. Yeah, I should say, gee, this makes me feel like my book actually has a chance because this right. one published. Um... <laughs> my God. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Stephanie. But Now I don't even remember what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just asking, like, what drew you to the librarians? Oh, yeah. so, I mean, it's it's just a uh, show that was totally up my alley in terms of the types of subjects they touched on. Uh, I told you earlier how I could really relate to Stone and his appreciation for fine art. And there aren't very many TV shows out there that manage to actually talk about art. And it's still interesting to people who didn't necessarily go to art school. Um and it also still kind of had a little bit of that sci-fi feel to it, too, while being heavily rooted in fantasy. And uh, those are just types of shows that I really like. Uh, true escapes from reality, where it ties in the real world, though, with uh, that fantastic type of thing. Um, it kind of reminded me of Warehouse 13, which was another show I adored with a similar premise that I was really sad when that show ended. So I was happy to have more of a similar type of thing. Um, and magic just existing in the real world is just, it's a 
thing that I think is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just another show that was focused on that. And the characters were interesting. The uh, they they fell to some cliches that you find in that genre, but that's fine because they also twisted a few of the standard cliches. And um, yeah, I, I think that kind of sums up as to why I really enjoyed this show. Yeah, I mean, sort of teeing up on your thing, the thing you were saying about art history is I, you know, thought about this show as something that rewards people for having esoteric knowledge. Like, when you have, like, something that you're into, like, this show, like, will take that thing and then they'll put magic on top of it. Like, you have maybe grasped that I love English. English is such a messed up language and I love it. Mm-hmm. Um And one of my fun little facts about English is that what modern Americans speak is actually a lot closer to what, like, the original English settlers spoke. It's the the British who created the modern British accent. So the episode where they went back with Shakespeare and they're speaking in a modern, modern British accent instead of talking like Americans really ticked me off because they should not be talking like that. And this is a show that was really good with all those types of little details until that episode. Okay. Uh, I I had a problem with that episode for other reasons, but I might get into that a little bit later. But for now, we're talking about things we like. Since you first told me you wanted to do this podcast. (laughs) And then I almost forgot about it. But now we're talking about things that we like. But like even like... Like what you were talking about with Jacob and his and his art flair or architecture and other things, like the episode where they're at the university and the fact that the architecture plays into like what's going on with the magic and that it's really like a big magic circle and all that kind of stuff. It was that's like some go- that's some Ghostbusters nineteen eighty four stuff right there, right? But it was it, it you know again it's it's taking that stuff, it's taking that sort of you know uh, mundane knowledge and saying like, hey, if you've got this mundane knowledge, here's what can get exceptional. Here's mm-hmm. what could like you know, just make it so so your you know whatever thing you're into becomes more interesting because they've made it sort of you know put a fantasy element on top of it. Yeah. Um, but Lucas, what about you? What drew you to the librarians? What you just said is pretty much what I loved. Uh, like, and I'll say this again: if you look at the library, you see pretty much the influences from everything past, but they became their own thing. You get Doctor Who, you get Warehouse Thirteen, you get Eureka, you get Sanctuary. But they're able to com- to literally combine it like a big hybrid, like a chimera, and just let it have fun. And that's what the series is about, fun. Um, we all wish we could be more than what we are. And we get to see these guys come in, even though many of them, you know, have esoteric, you know, information and knowledge and PhDs, whatever. They are just regular people, but they're put in magnificent and extraordinary circumstances. And like I said, every season is a callback, but at the same time, it's almost like it turns everything that happened in the past and it says, you know, we're going to go in our own way. When you look at, like, let's say, the, uh, talking about the English episode, talking about Prospero and um, William Shakespeare, that goes back to uh, Alan Moore's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, you know, and, you know, the Caliban and stuff like that. I mean, these guys are not just good when it concerns screenplays. They're good when it concerns literature. They understand the hero myth, the actual what is it for today's generations. Because I'll be honest with you, this is a show that I can easily say I'm going to give to my nephew once he becomes of age. You know, once he's 10 or 11 years old and he can just watch it, you know, and just have fun and say, oh, 
I didn't know that. I said, yeah, well, if you're interested in that, here's a book, you know, after I cut off the TV, you know, I love that. And there's very few shows, Nathan and Stephanie, that does that now. You just get what you get. But with this one here, it's like, yeah, I'll show you this. But if you're really interested, just go to your nearest library. We got what you want. Yeah, I mean, again, if you're well-read, this show, because of all the different myths and all the different things that they pull into it, the only other show that I can think of that ever came close to this is an animated show called Gargoyles that Thank also you. pulled Thank in you. You, all, all sorts of myths and legends yes. and wove it into this completely new story where everything was connected. It was so crazy. Like Shakespeare's plays are connected with Greek mythology, are connected with this. And it's like, oh my God, you know. <laughs> they understand me. Right. So the librarians does the same thing. And it, it's on such a grand scale of how all these like magical powers and, and you know, uh, ancient creatures and things are all connected and it's it's really great uh, you know it, it's it's exciting especially when you grew up reading that stuff oh, yeah you get reward you feel like it wasn't for nothing you didn't waste your time in english class in high school whatever because you actually paid attention to Beowulf, or you paid attention you know to you know the tempest and all this other stuff and you're like huh and that's like i said people who can actually do that and be able to translate so people can actually understand it that, that that's for every that's that makes fans of anything you know and i and i really will i will say that this show pretty much did for television what went what philip jose farmer did for literature with his Walt newton family concept you know it made people become more literate and more well-read and realize that it's more to this world than what you see every day you know and I will always thank this show. I will always thank Dean Devlin and Noah Wilde for that, you know, thankfully. I mean, one thing that was really fun about it, too, is Tim and I are both very well versed in very different things. And there were episodes that were a little bit more art or literature based, which are my major preoccupations uh, that I was just absolutely over the moon with the the references they were doing or how they wove it into the story. And I had to then explain why I was so giddy about it to him. Uh, whereas he's a lot more into the more, uh, the more practical stuff, uh, like the, the architectural knowledge and some of the things that you would really find more in stories that were heavily focused on Ezekiel or, um, or, oh gosh, why am I, the art dude. Why am I speaking? Jake. Jake. <laughs> there we go. Um, where you would elements of his life that weren't connected to his, his passion for art and architecture. So like his his more hands on routine and his more industrial side. He's uh, a working there, man. Yeah, there were elements of their stories uh, that Tim got really into, and then he would explained to me and so the show not only created conversations about the show and the characters but about real life elements that were being pulled in that we just happened to know about but 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 also and this is really quick is that every season kind of up the ante we get the serpent brotherhood in the first season in the second season we get a bigger threat and then we finally get almost like a governmental men in black organization that deals with magic because of all this nonsense. That was such a genius move to add Dosa. My problem is that in the fourth, so we get APEP 
and then we get Dosa, and we get these really great concepts in season three. And season three, uh, for me, is the second best season after season one. And then I felt like season four was such a come down because Dosa barely appears. We don't have Apep anymore, and we've just got Nicole as the villain, but we don't even realize she's the villain really until almost the very end. Then we get that librarian from the past as well, who's kind of like a Sherlock Holmes you know, early Flynn Carson type character, you know, who's saying there can only be one. I mean, I was, I was only thinking I was watching Highlander. Right. Well, said, there can only be one librarian. It was you know. so ridiculous. Yeah. The fourth season disappointed me a lot. I was also really hoping that with that, there can only be one librarian thing. Somebody would have brought up the fact that the library has like literally changed. It yeah. disappeared, and we brought it back. It's a different library. It's reborn. It's, it's literally, the, it's like the doctor. It's like the doctor. The, yeah. the librarian's like the doctor or like a time lord, in a sense, or even the TARDIS. The TARDIS has been damaged. We saw that in the 11th hour where he had to fix it and bring it back. It was a brand new TARDIS. Same old information, but so much possibility. So and different rules. So exactly. what's the matter that there were now four librarians? Well, and that was the them. thing. I didn't buy the whole new thing they were saying of, oh, there was once a time when there were two librarians and they like tore the library apart because they fought so much and blah, blah, blah. And it's like Jenkins would have brought this up back uh, when they first. I, I, I don't know about that because like I say, he don't know them that way. <laughs> Nathan, I mean, there's still, even though he likes the guys now, I think there even still there's stuff that even Jenkins himself will still be privy to that he won't tell the Jake, he won't tell the Ezekiel, definitely not Ezekiel. Well, no, what I'm saying is he would have opposed there being multiple librarians if this had been something that, that you know, had they had thought of in season one, which they, ha- I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's something that they just made up in season four and it felt so false, you know, and, and it bothered me. You can see that. But at the same time, like I said, I know Jenkins enough to know that for him, it was almost like these guys got thrown in because of a crisis. For one moment, the library just disappeared. And this is the future of the librarians, which means one of these was possibly going to be the librarian. So it's almost like it's almost like Hogwarts, but for librarians. But one of them is going to be the graduates. I think it's that's always how it's supposed to be more like Buffy with the potential librarians, like potential slayers. That's <laughs> an analogy too. Yeah, but um, yeah. So um, let's talk about favorite episode. And I get that it might be hard because you might have a bunch of them. Just pick one because <laughs> we don't have time to go through all of the ones uh, we really liked. I'm gonna let uh, Stephanie go first because I. Uh, <laughs> You know, you already know. Can go first, okay, that's that's fine. Because um, IMDb and quickly look through episode listing. Yeah, I should have given you guys a head uh, heads up that I was going to do this, but um, for me, it's and the rule of three, which is a episode from season one where there's all this weird stuff happening at a school science fair and you think it's and that's is again one of these things that they're standing stuff on its head because you think it's one of the kids you know deliberately trying to like you know take out their competition and that's what the librarians suspect for most of the story and so i'm like yeah okay you know i get this it's gonna be like some kid who wants to be like the special one and he's getting rid of everyone else and then you find out that 
it's Morgan La Freaking Fay. Yes, sir. Yeah, like the principal or something at the school, you know, she's pretending. And there's so many great things about that story. Because first of all, it's the thing of, oh, it's not the kids at all. And it's the mix of technology because it's an app she's put on their phones. And so she's tricking them into, you know, creating all these basically the, these magic, you know, incantations by having them use the app. And so she's multiplying the effect because of how many kids she's got using it. But then there's the scene where she just straight walks into the library. And I remember that because they have her walk into the library and then it goes to commercial. And I was thinking, because at this point, you don't know who it is. You just think that the principal walked into the library and you're like, whoa, this is going to be crazy. How's, you know, Jenkins going to explain this? But then Jenkins' reaction of like complete like fear at this person and you find out that it's actually Morgan Le Fay and, and it's the first hint of um, no I guess not the first hint it's the second hint of a bigger story for Jenkins you know is just how strongly he reacts to her and you know um, I was trying to warn the others about her um, it just it, it just it just tied everything so well together and and did that thing of, of bringing the magic into the modern age so well that that one has always stuck out to me as like a really great example of what this show can do. Lucas, do you have one picked out? Oh, I wish you had. Uh, you're killing me, baby. You're killing me, bro. <laughs> Stephanie, do you have one picked out? There, there was one me, particular I was trying to think of, and I finally found it. Okay. Um, the season three episode, uh, and the trial of the triangle. Mm. Oh yes. I'm a huge, huge fan of uh, Alice in Wonderland. So my partialness to that particular one was probably the the references to it. I mean, we have a freaking Cheshire cat when he gets (laughs) to that that realm. Um, At least I think this is the episode I'm thinking of. (laughs) Uh, That is the one where Jenkins goes off into, uh, not Jenkins, Flynn goes off into another realm solving a puzzle to get right yeah because he's yeah he's 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 on the airplane going to the bermuda yes. triangle and yeah it's, yeah yes okay I, I was just making sure here i was thinking of the right one right. um and then how he goes through all these different puzzles with the characters in with, with our, our librarians and our guardian taking on these other roles um but really i do think it was mostly my bias towards alice in wonderland that really made that episode extra fun for me <laughs> no that's a good one I, I think i think season three and season one both had just a string of exceptional episodes so I, I get having difficulty picking just one to talk about but i also want this episode to go to the you know three and a half hour epic token <laughs> length I, i'm a, i'm definitely going to fix that because jonathan franks also was the director for that episode oh, okay. so, there you go hey there's my little star trying there you <laughs> go <laughs> All right, Lucas. Ah, oh, man, you're killing me. But I might have to go with season one, episode five, the Apple on the Discord. Uh, Discord, yes. the Apple Discord. I, I just, I love that episode. I mean, I love almost, I love almost all of the episodes almost equally. But there's mm-hmm. something about the Apple Discord that is just so delicious. I'm talking about like, you know, that the stakes are going to get higher from this point forward nothing's ever going to be the same after this mm-hmm. and i just love that you bring this conclave in of all these different you know groups and what have you 
And then you got my boy, Lancelot Ducat, just coming in there and saying, you know, looks like we don't need the librarians. And then Flynn acts a straight fool, uh, said daddy's home, and does his thing. But what I love the most, because I am a Walt Newton fan, is that they said, uh, you know, this is of the Walt Newton Conclave. Man, I, I, I bought that episode. That was the first episode of The Librarians I ever bought. Mm. I was watching it before then, and then I decided to get the whole season. Mm. I said, somebody is a farmer fan, and we actually posted that in our Walt Newton group. But uh, that one in particular, and just seeing how everyone was affected by just that golden apple, and seeing their worst natures come out was just is great. <laughs> That was a good one for Cassie because she's she's like trying to destroy the world, you know. Like, wouldn't it be great if I caused like these nuclear plants to blow up and stuff? And it's like, oh my and God. what she did to that lead henchwoman, <laughs> right? With the pressure per square inch. Um. Oh my God. I mean, that I even felt that I was in pain after watching that. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, yeah, like I said, that's possibly my top of the top. But man, like for instance, the infernal contract from season mm. two, and, and I, John I Delancey in in oh, a wonderful role playing the kind of character he likes to play <laughs> with unlimited power. Like I said, <laughs> when you ask, what's the favorite episode, man? Jesus. Yeah, no, I know it's hard, and I know we could stay here talking about lots of these episodes because there's there's stuff to love about a lot of these. Um, but. Uh, but uh, you know, like, like I said, I didn't want this one to go to the uh, to the Tolkien length. Um, I do want to talk about the ending of the show. Um, I was with the fourth season for most of it. Um, the ending is where I, at the point when everybody else gave up on the library, I did too, because we got to a point where it doesn't matter that Nicole. Uh, manipulated events, the library was willing to kill off Jenkins out of spite. Yeah. And that part is true regardless of what Nicole did. And that made me so upset that I was like, I I'm fine with the, you know, just like this show ending now because I don't want to continue adventures with this library that if the circumstances were the same would kill Jenkins again. Cause that's not, that's not what, that's not what it always seemed to me to be. I thought it was a force for good. Exactly. And and I hate to interject this, but I'll be honest with you. I think after season three, I don't think they knew where they were going to go mm. uh, with, uh, with the librarians. I just think that, oh, let's bring back, you know, Nicole Noon. You know, let's just make her now the bad guy. And part of me almost wanted to spit out my coffee if I had it, you know, say, you're going to do what to my to the first like to the first guardian. You're going to do what? And this is the her big revenge thing. Like and initially I thought, oh, well, he saved her. Maybe she'll see good. But nope, mm -mm, that's not what happened. And then it just went from bad to worse. I'm saying myself are that's why for me personally, as much as it saddens me that we're not going to ever get a season five, I think that. Is probably for the best. Maybe the series needs to take a break because they could eat. There were so many other directions, Nathan, that they could have went with, and so many other big bads that they could have went with. If they're going go the magic route, that they didn't even do, they could have went up against Hades 
Uh, for crying out loud. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, you could pick all sorts of things. But, yeah, I think that the problem was that they set up Season 3 as the final battle. I'm wondering if they thought Season 3 was going to be the end because it was like, it's the final battle. It's the final battle of good and evil. And then it's like, okay, well, we're now we're done with the final battle of good and evil. What do we do now? <laughs> you know? That's that's my – and I'll be honest with you, Nate. That's my fear about uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. right now mm. because they ended it the way they ended. I'm actually horrified of what's going to happen with season six, that now they got to actually create something out of it, which, in fact, they never even intended to. Right. It was like, we're done after season five. Bye. See you later. Bye bye. No, you're going to have a season six. And it's going to just be this episode. That's what I'm talking about. It's like I think that they were out of options in their mind. They weren't willing to go any further than season three. And then when we finally get it, you don't get the right actress, the original one, probably because she's is say, uh, no, you didn't even bother even bring me back. You got Rebecca Romaine, you know, I could have came back. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was the reason why she didn't show up. But we got what we got. We got to deal with it. But at the same time, it's like it feels like they were just spinning their wheels. There was a lot more in the past episodes that had more meat what we got in season four uh stephanie what did you think about that last season um it was okay uh i've already said a few times i was very unhappy with how they treated jenkins mm-hmm. um honestly the whole um the trial of the library or whatever it was um that just felt so forced yes it, it was ridiculous um especially some of their greatest fears were not really aligning well with the characters in my opinion mm-hmm. um, but uh, I mean there were a handful of good episodes in it um, like I did like the ones where the other characters are kind of exploring what life would be like outside of the library mm-hmm. but the entirety of the season I spent yelling at the TV it's a brand new library. We can have new rules. <laughs> well, and I even like the one where the librarian came out of the past. I mean, there were good episodes in the season. It's just those last few episodes just really soured me on the whole thing. I agree. Because for me personally, when I look at it, I think about my favorite season four. I think about And the Silver Screen. Where mm-hmm. Flynn and, um, and Baird were stuck in, you know, an old movie. And we have, and we found. I love that. I love it so much, man. The other three are in a Japanese like space movie. It's so funny. It's so it's so like <laughs> it's like Godzilla meets old Super Sentai, man. It's just and like after they were in a, a western. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. From the fifties. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, that's a that's a really fun episode. Uh-huh. Season four did finally give us Flynn leaving and there actually being a legitimate reason for it. Right, but because he had left like an idiot so many times before, you think that's just what's going on there again. Exactly. And so you don't yeah. think that this is it, you know. Yeah. And yeah. and frankly though, the whole thing of oh, if the library leaves the world, it's like the library never existed and all it did was like set the world back to like the nineteen fifties. I was like, honestly guys this wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be like it's bad but it's not like you know I expected it to be like you know people like with you know uh, uh, spears and rocks you know I like was fighting. expecting the dark ages right yeah. so like Mad Max level dark ages right. not just really bland and generic life yeah. right yeah. 
Right. So I felt like I felt like they didn't even the threat enough. What what I probably would have done with that if I had to do it was when the library goes away, it doesn't change the past. It just changes everything from then forward and just have everybody be like nasty and bigoted and, you know, everything else and just show like the world descend into darkness without the library. And that would be a bad enough you know, scenario and my thing would have been like an escape from New York, escape from LA scenario. If the library had went away, like literally like it would look like they live, you know, like an eighties, you know, reference to any type of dystopian future. It's what I thought. I never thought it'd be like a 1984. Like you got to watch what you say. You got to watch what you do. Oh yeah. Uh, we're going to do, you know, um, old, you know, TV series. Like I love Lucy and you know, all this other stuff, you know, I was like, okay, that's the best. I think that that is less just the library being gone and more the part that Nicole was controlling what was being done. Yeah. And I also did kind of find it amusing that Jake became a used car salesman. Um, that was funny. And that Ezekiel was the most famous person in the world. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't really think that it was so much the type of world that exists without the library so much as it was the type of world that, uh, Nicole made without the library. Well, I mean, I would have to go back and, but the, I'm pretty sure there's a line there where she says like, uh, in the library leaving doesn't just mean that it leaves. It means that it never was never there in the first place. And so that's, that's what I thought was that they basically created the world without the, the, where the library never existed. And I'm like, so we lost about 50 years of human progress and that's about it you know i mean it's not as bad as you know you would think it should be if like the whole idea of mankind's search for knowledge was like eradicated you know it 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 we shouldn't even have technology if that's the case i mean you know what i'm saying like they, they had cars and crap it's like and I, I think this is just another example of the writers not fully thinking it through and yeah, the continuity wasn't there they yeah, wanted exactly. to do like a 1984 pastiche and they didn't care about the logic of getting it there mm-hmm. and that's why to me I, I just kind of took it as the world that nicole created mm-hmm. and the cop out of the time travel was also something that i was just kind of like seriously <laughs> you know uh i don't know i just wasn't happy with how they ended it um mm-hmm. It was almost like they said, like, oh, we're done with the third season. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know what? Remember the last scene of the first... Uh, first episode? Uh, library? No, the, no, the first, the last uh, scene of the first movie where they're being chased by time ninjas and stuff like that? Yeah, let's do something with that. And this is what we got. How it went from the last episode juxtaposing itself right back into the first episode of the season. Right. Right. So basically undid the whole fourth season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Only Lynn and Baird remember any of it. And I thought that was really kind of lame. Yeah. It was like, what, what was the point of all of all these episodes? If this is where we're going to go, you know, right back to the beginning. I mean, even something like, okay, well, we can only have one librarian, and so uh, we've got to, like, sort of go and do different things or whatever. Like, the whole idea of them finding lives in the outside world. What if their, you know, job was to, like, go out into the world and 
you know, not, I mean, I get with the door, they can travel anywhere they want to, but maybe their job is to like not stay at the library, but to go off and do things out in the world and, and spend longer periods of time helping people or whatever. Something, do develop them in some way and, and make these concepts go somewhere, not just, oh yeah, we tried that for an episode for each of them and then we're done with that concept, you know. I will watch that show. I will watch yeah. that show, Nathan. Yeah. Would you just say I will watch that? Because there's stuff that could be done long term that you know you can't do with just short little hops through the door and back so you know i mean they could have developed those, some of those ideas but you know that uh they didn't they didn't do that so <sighs> so um stephanie do you have anything else you want to talk about with the library librarians <laughs> i think we about covered most of it all okay Lucas, is there anything else that you're just burning to talk about that uh, that we need? I know I realize there's stuff you could talk about, and so could I. There's but... stuff I could, but uh, <laughs> no, we don't have the time. I need to go work tomorrow night, mm. and so I need to get everything prepared. So, like I said, but like I said, it was a fun show. A fun show that started off had three great seasons, and they possibly didn't know what they were going to do with the fourth one, so we got what we got. And the sad part is that's the legacy, but at the same time. The characters are still rich enough that maybe in five, ten years, if they really want to, they could bring it back. And the nostalgia will be there Well, people will be like, say, oh, yeah, I remember that. Let's see what they do. But maybe for the best right now, let's just put on the back burner. I mean, as you you know, there's a little bit of melancholy, but at the same time, I mean, I got other stuff I can watch. You right. know, it's not like I'm actually hurting. Whereas in the past, I looked at Eureka, I looked at Sanctuary. My God, I look at Alphas and how that ended. Um, and those were literally like heartbreakers. Like I didn't know what was going to happen with this one. As sad as I am to see it go at the same time, I say, you know what? Maybe we can come back here again. But if this is it, I still got my own personal headcanon and wondering what happens to these guys. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it, there was a get like the, the third movie, uh, librarian movie was 2008. And then the series came in 2014. So, you know, there's a six year gap. So like you say, and, and, you know, six years, you know, maybe the concept gets used again and, and they do something new with it. So that and maybe be... no, we'll actually stick around as opposed right. to other stuff. <laughs> um, I mean, he's on the library now. Right. Yeah, yeah. it's true. Um, he'll, when he's the age of Bob Newhart was in the first movie, they can bring it back and he can be the, the I would love that so much. And like I said, this is such an American Doctor Who thing. Man, could you imagine what the future, uh, librarians would be like? I mean, he would pre, I wouldn't say he'd be like Jenkins, but he would be like that old quirky guy that nobody would be able to keep up with. Cause that's oh, who Clint is. He was already having so much fun playing with the mirrors. Oh, my God. <laughs> Please stop. You see, I didn't even need that, guys. I did not need that. Because now my head's already making scripts as it is. Better than wax. Oh. All right. So um, what would you give uh, the librarians with a uh, rating out of five? Um, so, Stephanie, uh, to, if you recommend the show, what would you tell them as far as like a, a number like out of five? I'd probably give it a four out of five. Okay. Lucas, what about you? Same. Yeah, and uh, me too. 
easy. Yeah, that was really easy. Because, yeah, I mean, this show is exceptional. Um, it falls down sometimes with the uh, character development, I feel, that it doesn't go as far as it could. But the individual episodes especially are really great. And um, sometimes the through line is where they drop the ball. Um, but then get a season like either the first or the third season where the through line is strong, too. I feel like those those seasons are excellent viewing and uh you know yeah I, I would recommend that that you know anyone who is at all interested in myth and fantasy you know give this show a try yeah absolutely i agree 100 percent. all right so let's say our goodbyes and let people know where they can find you so lucas why don't we start with you yes uh you can find me on facebook you can find me on twitter and instagram um, you can also find me on my own personal website. It is Luke's, L-U-C, uh, apostrophe S, speculations on WordPress.com. And it is a crossovers mashup website where I get to speculate on what series or movies are connected to each other and weird sort of ways and have fun. I last one I did was on Iron Giant being connected with Big Hero 6 hmm. as well as Day, uh, the day of the world still, oh. and Sky Captain the world tomorrow. <laughs> so you can, you can now find me there, and um, you know, just you know, just speculations. None of it is any type of seriousness. It's just me saying, huh. Now, wouldn't this be interesting? Because, uh, with the last one, and just be quick, I never really bought in on um, the day of the world still that that was an actual alien flick. I always thought that that was a bunch of technocrats. Scaring rest of humanity into peaceful negotiations, and so using um, Sky Captain and World Tomorrow and Iron Giant, I was able to say this is how they would have done it. Hmm. So it's just fun stuff. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Um, I, I, I'm right there with you though with weird speculations because I've connected Sailor Moon and Doctor Who in my head, but that's a story for another time. Oh, um, I, oh easy, <laughs> easy, especially with her boyfriend. Oh my god. <laughs> Um, I'm pretty sure you and I had conversations about that a few times. Yes, yes, we have. <laughs> um, Stephanie, uh, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? All right. Well, thanks again for having me. Uh, personally, you can find me um, on Twitter as Alcrea, A-L-K-R-E-A. Instagram and Facebook, I am Lady Alcrea. Um, alternatively, this isn't really me specifically, but I am the social media manager for Deathcom Multimedia. So if you're interested in cosplay and convention coverage, look for DCM Cosplay on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. And chances are nine times out of ten, that's actually a huge gap. Actually, I'm going to be the one that's actually doing the posting. <laughs> so if you ever want to just check out random cosplayers and things like that that's been going on at conventions, uh, follow other either of those well, any of those sources with DCM Cosplay. And if you just want to hear from me, look for El Crea. Have you ever counted how many different cosplays you've done, Stephanie? Me personally? Yeah. No. Oh, and, okay. I'm just curious. If you, I also have an uncounted number of cosplays that I have sitting right behind me in just piles of fabric <laughs> and, and wigs. And sometimes what? I have the fabric, but I don't have the wig. But I also sometimes have a wig, but I don't have the fabric. 
or I have the shoes or I have the prop or yeah, I, I have a problem and <laughs> I don't sew that often anymore. So it's getting worse. <laughs> yeah, The sheer number of characters that you've done though is, is a lot. I mean, it's, it's several dozen. I mean, you've done a lot of characters. So. I, I, was I just, just curious. recently did Sakura from Sakura Wars and oh my gosh, I love that even more than I thought. And it's a character I've always wanted to do, but I was always kind of afraid to because she wears a kimono and I'm a rather uh, top-heavy woman. Uh, I was always worried that a kimono paired with my uh, uh, ample talent, uh, <laughs> I, I always worried that that would make me just look like monstrously overweight. And I actually felt it looked really flattering on me and I was surprised. So that costume is definitely getting another wear once I fix the wig and make a better OB for it. Well, that is very cool. And yeah, if you ever do count your costumes, I know you have a website somewhere where you've you you have all of them. So you know, uh... I upon a time, I haven't updated it in like seven oh, years. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I'd just be curious at the at the number because I know it's a pretty large number. But I mean, uh... Sailor Moon alone, we're probably looking at double digits. So. Okay. But you always do quality cosplays, so that was kind of my point at, uh, at bringing this up, so, um, yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. But, uh, Stephanie and Lucas, it is great. It was great having you uh, back on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Nathan. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate talking about this great series. Yes, it was great getting to know you too, Lucas, and uh, Thank you. thanks for having me again. And that's a wrap on our Librarians episode. We hope that you liked it, and you can let us know if you did in a variety of ways. One way is to email us at everything at 42cast.com. You can tweet to us at 42cast. You can go to our Facebook at facebook.com slash 42cast. You can go to our Instagram, which is also at 42cast. Or you can go to our website at 42cast.com. You can also leave us reviews on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. With Apple Podcasts, your reviews do help get our show promoted. The more reviews that we have, the more likely our show is going to end up on searches. So if you have a moment, if you have an Apple ID, please take the time to review the show, and I would greatly appreciate it. I also want to let you know about the ESO Patreon. That's a way that you can contribute to the network and help keep all of our shows going. You can look at that at patreon.com slash ESO Network. You can see all the different tiers, all the different things you get. A lot of the shows give you early episodes, exclusive episodes. There's one whole exclusive podcast for people who are Patreons of the network. So please take a look at that, and if you've got some money, uh, we would really appreciate if you could contribute, even at the lowest possible tier. I also want to plug Time Streams, which is my other current podcast. That's where my friend Juliet and I go through all of Doctor Who from the beginning. We comment on the episodes. Uh, we tell you what's going on. So the plus side is for those people who don't want to take the time to actually watch the episodes, we explain everything that happens to you. So if you just want to hear our banter and us talking about it, it'll be a little informative because you'll find out what the episode is about. But at the same time, you'll hear our banter. You'll be amused. And obviously, if you want to watch the episodes with us, that can only enhance the experience. So please check out Time Streams. The other announcement that I have, though, is you may recall a while back I was asking about what topics or subjects you would be interested in hearing more from us. And the one that won is Star Wars. Several people chimed in and they said, we'd like to hear more about Star Wars. Well, you might have been thinking that I was talking about episodes of the 42 cast, but actually I was polling to see 
what other podcast you would like for us to create. And so that's right. The 42 cast is growing again. Our family is expanding. And we now have the Legendary Forces podcast heading your way. So Legendary Forces is a Star Wars podcast. We are actually going back in chronological order, and we are going to review all of the Star Wars media that we can find. So that's movies, television shows, books, comics, radio plays, video games, everything, the works. And so it's a huge project, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun. We're keeping the episodes fairly short. They're going to be an hour long. Every once in a while, we might go up to 90 minutes, but we're definitely capping it. It's not going to be the length of the 42 cast. And we're basically going to let you know, is this thing worth your while? Is some of this older Star Wars material good? Is it bad? Is it something that you should check out? Is it fun? All that kind of stuff. So watch this space. I will definitely announce more as we come to it. But I think that it's going to be a real hit. But in other news, uh, not a whole lot to report. Con scene is still a confusion. Not quite sure what's going on. I have gotten my first COVID vaccination shot. So odds are I will be able to go to the movies once the Marvel movies start dropping in July. If they do, in fact, drop in July. And so that is going to be great. And by that point, we'll be caught up on our movie episode. So my hope is to have the Black Widow review episode released within a few weeks of the Black Widow movie coming out. Uh, I probably shouldn't say that before we get there, you know, because now I'm probably inviting some sort of horrible catastrophe to happen. But that's the goal. That's the goal. So Black Widow, Shang-Chi, Eternals, and Spider-Man... We'll get those, you know, fairly close to when they come out. That's my plan. So hopefully everything will pan out that way. But yeah, otherwise, still planning on going to Chicago TARDIS. Still planning on possibly, well, I shouldn't say I'm planning. I might go to C2E2. And if Dragon Con is virtual, I will definitely participate in virtual Dragon Con this year. But I will not be able to make it if it is an in-person event. And of course, being as it is at the end of August, early September, it's in that kind of dicey period right now where we're not sure what the COVID cases are going to look like and how dangerous it's going to be and what the restrictions are going to be going to be and all of that kind of stuff so until we know that we're not sure but i mean it's probably looking on the better side especially with how the vaccinations have been rolling out but at the same time there's a lot of people who are refusing to get vaccinated and vaccines don't give you a 100 clean bill of health and you can still transmit the virus to unvaccinated people so there's still a lot of concern out there so i think i'm not sure how dragon con's gonna make the decision frankly but anyway <laughs> I guess I'm ending this episode on a downer. All right, I'll, I'm, I'm getting out of here. Uh, but please join us back next week when Breck Bassinger will not be joining us. Until then, this is Nathan signing off. You have been listening to the 42 cast, copyright 2021. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42cast.com. Theme music is Sharper Swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. The 42 cast is a proud member of the ESO network.
This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.